morning. Thank you guys so much for being here. We are right in the middle of our series called Jesus, man. It's all about Jesus Christ and the power of Christ in our lives. And um, if you guys go and have your Bible, i got a lot today, so I want to kind of get into it. It's Matthew 14, verse 22. Just hang out there for a little bit. We'll get there in just a second. But next week, we have a, uh, a new season starting in our church. And Mark mentioned it out here, but we're starting a Saturday night service. Now, this is something, listen, this is something we're, we're excited about. I'm super excited about it. It's something we're going to basically just kind of do for a season in our church, man. We're just going to, uh, we're going to launch this thing next week, and we're going to ride it out through the spring and into the summer, and then just kind of reevaluate and see where it is. But I think is if we do it for a week or if we do it for 10 years, I believe with all my heart that God is going to do some amazing things with this second service uh, that we're starting this coming Saturday. And so this weekend, I really encourage you to just invite people to come and to be here a part of our Easter weekend because I am super excited about what God is going to do. We have had just some amazing, just if you just stop for a second, this is your first Sunday here and you really can't do this uh, because you're not telepathic and you weren't here. But everybody else that, that was here and have been here the last few weeks through the baptisms and uh, the, the child, the baby dedication last week and through the Bringing Sexy Back series. I mean, God is just doing some awesome things at our church, you know, and I feel like every time we stop every few months and we kind of look back and we just see what God is doing and how God is changing lives, and there's not a part of me that thinks that God is going to stop now. I think that we are just at the beginning. Now, all this stuff has happened, man, and it's like, what, it's April, like end of March? I mean, guys, we've got eight more months of this fiscal year for God to do some amazing things. And I'm just excited about what God is doing. And so I just want you guys, fiscal means financial for everybody that just, I heard like 10 people go, what does fiscal mean? I was, I was making a business joke, okay? So I believe with all my heart that God is on fire here at Harvest Cove and he is doing things. And I just want you to open up your heart and open up your mind um, to the power of Christ that is working, that is moving um, through this. And so today, we just want to, I just want to go right to my heart is a little heavy today as I go into this message because it's one of those messages where I just feel like that, that I say this sometimes, but it's one of those messages that can literally, I believe if you hear it and you open up your heart to it and you accept it, it could be a life changer. It could be one of those things that alters things. Um, or it could be just one of those things where you're just like, oh, maybe that was a nice sermon or that was a horrible sermon and you just head on down you know, to Taco Bell and get some tacos and eat lunch and move on with your life. But I want to encourage you this morning. You're here. For whatever reason, you're already here. I believe that God put you here in the seats. And I believe that God has a word for your heart, for your life today. This may be the first and last time you ever set foot in these doors. But I believe any given day, any given second, when the power of Christ shows up, he can alter your life forever. And I just, I really believe uh, that this is one of those messages that can bring a lot of clarity uh, to certain circumstances and certain situations and certain seasons in our life. And I'm just, I'm excited excited about it. And we're going to uh, go ahead and get into it. But if you guys would just pray with me just for a few minutes. God, I pray, Lord, right now that you would just let your spirit rest in this room. God, I pray, Lord, right now that you would just open up our hearts, open up our minds to you, Father. God, I pray, Lord, no matter what has been going on the last few weeks, Lord God, that right now, right here in this moment, Father, uh, we are open up uh, to your word, Father God, that we are here to hear you, God. We are here to to, to hear what you have to say, Father God, not from some kid, not from me, God, not from the band, God, but from you, from your power, from your spirit, Father. And I pray, Lord, right now that you will just let your presence be in this house this morning, Lord God, in your holy, in your precious name. Amen. We just, we learned last week, the end of last week, we just kind of walked away with this one point that the power of Christ is as much needed to live this life that he's called us to 
as it was in order to save us. We need Christ and his power in our life every day as we live this life, just as much as the day we needed it for our initial salvation. Um, and it's just a daunting thought because for whatever reason, there's so many people who they, they have this moment or they have this process in their life where they, they put their faith in Christ, and they put their trust in Christ and they believe and they accept that power and that, that need of Jesus, that need of a savior. But then once we walk through that process and we put our faith in Christ and we, we kind of go on, we, we forget forget about the power of Christ. We forget that he is at work in our life. And so I just want to take another Sunday just to talk about Jesus and what Jesus means to our everyday life. And if, and if you've already turned to Matthew, if you don't have your Bibles, you can uh, get out, download our app and get the Bible on there. But it's Matthew 14. Now, this is a random story. If you grew up in church, um, you've heard the story a hundred times. Even if you didn't grow up in church, um, you, you understand the story. This is the story of when Peter walked on water. I mean, that's what this is. That's what this story is about. And I just want to take just a second real fast to read it. It's not going to be up there right now, but I just want to kind of read through it just to bring all the memory back of this story from uh, Sunday school and all the other boring things we did as children. Jesus walks on water. Immediately, he made the disciples get into the boat. And go before him to the other side while he dismissed the crowds. And after he had dismissed the crowds, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. When evening came, he was there alone. But the boat by this time was a long way from the land, beaten by the waves, for the wind was against them. And in the fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking on the sea. But when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified and said, It is a ghost. And they cried out in fear, but immediately Jesus spoke to them, saying, Take heart, it is I, do not be afraid. And Peter answered him, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. He said, Come. So Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water and came to Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid. And beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. Jesus immediately reached out his hand and took a hold of him, saying to him, Oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? And when they got into the boat, the wind ceased, and those in the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly you are the Son of God. Now, I know you guys aren't theologians. Don't worry, neither am I. But one thing that in, in the circle of theology and, 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 and seminary and, and Bible school, this is one of those stories that, for whatever reason, is literally taught and preached and evaluated in like 100,000 different ways. Part of the reason is, is because this is kind of a random story. It kind of comes out of nowhere. I mean, they're, they're going through the whole process of Jesus' time on earth, and they're, they're going through, and Jesus is teaching, and the disciples are following, and Jesus is performing miracles, and the disciples are watching, and people are, are coming from all over, thousands and thousands of people are coming everywhere to hear Jesus teach and to be healed and to see the miracles, and, 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 it, and it was just this, this was kind of the path. Jesus would travel, the disciples would follow, people would come from all over to hear and to see what this man Jesus was doing and seen. And that's kind of the pattern from, from the beginning to the end, kind of from the beginning to the Garden of Gethsemane. That's just kind of the way, that's the narrative of the story. Wherever Jesus goes, he teaches, he performs miracles, people come and they listen, the disciples follow, and sometimes they're cool and sometimes they say stupid things, but that's just kind of, that's just kind of what it was. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, that's kind of the narrative, that's kind of the situation. But every now and then there was just seemingly random junk that happened, just a seemingly random story that really doesn't fit into the puzzle well. And this is one of those stories. This is one of those stories that it just doesn't, as you're reading through, all of a sudden, Jesus kind of switches up the narrative. He switches up the process. He switches up the pattern of what has happened, and he sends these guys off um, in, into the boat, and this whole little thing goes down, and then they kind of come back, and as soon as they get to the other side, guess what? It goes right back to the narrative. It goes right back to Jesus teaching, Jesus healing, uh, Jesus doing his thing, and the uh, disciples following, people coming, and and, and, and that was what it was, and that's what it always was. And the reason that this story is so random 
or, and, they, and people argue about it. Because, I mean, raise your hand. Just for, just, have you ever heard this story preached? Right? So the other ones either didn't go to church or you don't remember. All right, but listen, every, this, I've heard literally just in the last, I would say five years, I've heard this one story preached about 25 different ways. I've heard people preach about it's a faith thing. Peter didn't have faith, and you guys need to get more faith. You've got to have faith. And if you have more faith, it's this. I've heard it preached the storms of life. They're coming down, and you've got to be ready. You've got to keep your eyes on Jesus. That's, the, that's probably the biggest one. Keep your eyes on Jesus. You're not going to sink. You know what I mean? If, and no matter how big the waves are, if you keep your eyes on Jesus, and that's good. I mean, there's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing, there's nothing bad with that. You know, I've heard the whole, you know, gee, we make fun of Jesus because he gets out and he sinks. But Jesus is the only one that got out of the boat. And the rest of you guys are in there. And you guys need to get out of the boat and be more like Peter. I've heard that one a lot. You know what I mean? We, we take little narratives. And there's nothing wrong. It's not inaccurate. There's nothing wrong with that. But a lot of people, they preach it so many different ways because seemingly there's not really a point to it. There's just, when you just, just kind of read through it, there's not really, it, it kind of sets up like, there, like there's not really a goal. There's not really a lesson. There's not really a, uh, there's just this randomness to it, and it kind of creates this situation to where people can just kind of take, and, and as I was going through this, and I started, and, and I felt like the Lord was, I've been reading through this and just studying it, and, and I felt like the Lord was just saying, a lot of times, they don't really understand it, because they're not really seeing this through my eyes, and I started to think about it. I've heard it taught from Peter's point of view. I've heard it taught from the disciples in the boat point of view. I've heard it taught, you know, about the storms of life, and the wind, and the rain, and, and, and the waves, and, and I've but nobody's ever preached that I've, that I've heard of. I'm sure it has. I mean, but I've not really heard that from Jesus' point of view, from the way that Jesus sees this and why Jesus, what he was going through Jesus' mind and what, why he did what he did. And part of the reason I, I want, before we get back into it, before I teach through this, I feel like there's something that we have to really understand about Jesus, something that I think that we know on the surface, but something that we really don't think about on a regular basis, and we don't really want to admit, and we don't really want to, we don't, because it's, it's just one of those things that it's a, life's a lot easier if we don't think about this one little small truth, and it's something that Paul warns us about, uh, and, and I think that there is somewhat of a warning here to us, but this is what Paul says in Philippians. He says, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Now listen, now here, here's the deal. I've, I've heard the work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Everybody's heard that. If you grew up in church, you've been around, you work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. My favorite when people use this and they say, I can do whatever I want to do because God says work out my own salvation. So if I want to go get wasted, I'm just going to go get wasted and work it out with God on my own. All right, that's how I hear this a lot. All right, I hear that uh, stuff like that all the time. Like, I just between me and God, I work it out in my own way with fear and trembling. Okay, I don't know why every time I make fun of somebody, I go redneck. I don't know why I do that, but <laughs> I do. I'm sorry about that. I'm from the South, guys. Like, I'm, I got a little bit of red in me anyway. I'm not, I'm, 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 all right, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Now, and I've heard this, I've heard the second part of this. For it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. You know, some of your translation may say for, for God to work in you, to give desire, um, and, and to work and to live for God. It just variation. But the idea is, is that God works in you, uh, and he's the one that works in you for you to will you and to work for his own pleasure. And I've heard that separated from that. I've heard, I've heard that a lot. God's working. He's the one that works in you, and he's the one that, you know, and he goes in that. And that's, and that's done. I'm telling you, there was a long time in my life as a preacher Truthfully, I did not know these were in the same sentence. Truthfully, I know you guys, I know y'all went to seminary. 
and I know you got this, but I didn't. All right, I, I did not, I really, I didn't know. And, and I was sitting there and I started reading through this. And this is Paul. Now, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. I've heard, I've got that. You know what I mean? Do whatever you want between you and God, work it out with him. And I've heard the whole thing that God works in you. But there was many, 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 many years where I was not even aware that these two statements were directly connected to one another. They're not even separated by a period. That is a comma. Second grade English. That is a comma. That means they are directly connected to one another. Paul is saying to the people, he's saying, I want you to understand something. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. He's saying, listen, I want you to get this journey of life. I want you to work it out with a little bit of fear, with a little bit of trembling, with a little bit of respect, with a little bit of reverence, with a little bit of awe, because I want you to understand something, that it is God himself who is working in you. All right? to will and to work for his own pleasure. He says, I want you to understand this early on in your walk with Jesus, early on in your journey with Christ, early on in your salvation, early on in your life. I want you to understand you need to work out your own salvation. You need to work out this thing with God. You need to work out this relationship with Christ with a little bit of fear and a little bit of trembling because it is the God of the universe that is at work in your day-to-day life. Now think about that. Think about that. Paul says, I want you to understand God is magnificently out of your mind, amazingly awesome and huge, and and we can't even fathom the greatness or the power of God. And I want you to work this thing out as you go through. I don't want you to think, all right, that that this is all going to be candy canes and lollipops. I want you to understand as you walk out your salvation, as you work this thing out, as you go through life, as you go through this journey, there is a gigantic, magnificent God at work in your life. And it's going to blow your mind sometimes. And you need to be aware. Uh, You need to be aware that the way that God works is not the way that you work. And the way that God moves in your life is, might not be the way that you see it coming, a way that you understand it. And this right here, for it is God who works in you. All right, that means that there's going to be some things that happen in your life that come from God. And we have this illusion, or this disillusionment, all right, that everything that comes from God is shiny and gold, and it's unicorns with wings, and it's rainbows, and it's happiness, all right, and, it, and it's just this smiling all the time, and we all wear white, and we run around singing songs, and Jesus loves me. It's like Sunday school on crack. All right, that's what we think sometimes. And Paul says, I want you to understand that God is so great, that he is so amazing, that he cares so much about you, and he cares so much about your life, and he cares so much about your salvation, and he cares so much about your journey, that he is going to work in you. Have you ever had to fix anything that wasn't broken? I know you try sometimes, but have you ever truly had to fix something that wasn't broken? Have you ever had to work on something that didn't need something done to it? Right? You guys know where I'm going with this? When God begins to work on you, sometimes it's painful. Sometimes it's not fun. Sometimes it's, it's so seemingly dark that we tend to blame the enemy when it's actually God that's working in our life. See, I don't think there are any such thing as randomness in God. There is no randomness. I don't think there's any randomness in your life. 
I think there's situations and there's circumstances that you kind of go through and they maybe appear to be random or you maybe think they're random, but they're not random. God's orchestrating, God's in control, God's moving. This is what's happening out here on this ocean, out here in this sea with Peter and the disciples. God is at work through this. You know, there's three things that I want you to understand as we head into this. Three, I'm going to call them struggles with Peter because we're going to use Peter through this whole thing. And this is something that we all struggle with. Three things that we all struggle with. Number one, it's the Simon versus Peter struggle. Now listen, if you don't know a lot about Peter, Peter's name is Simon. Simon is one of the, Simon Peter is one of the followers of Jesus Christ. Simon meets Jesus early on in Jesus' ministry, and they have this little conversation, and Jesus says, throw your nets to the right, and Peter says, we fished all night. You're a teacher, not a fisherman, but I'll listen to you because I have to, and he throws his fish to the net. A bunch of big fish get caught. He's like, okay, this man's awesome. He's like some type of God. I, I don't really know, but he bows down. He says, listen, I'll follow you wherever you want me to go, and so he begins to follow Jesus, and then Jesus kind of goes on, and then they have this moment together where Jesus says, hey, you know, who do the people say I am? Some say you're Elijah. Some say you're John. Some say you're this. Some say you're that. And he says, but who do you say I am? Peter says, you are exactly who you say you are. You are the son of God. He says, it's not the flesh I told you this. It's God above. And then he renames him Peter. And he says, Peter, I'm going to use you to do some amazing things in my church. You're going to build a church, or I'm going to build a church through you, and not even the gates of hell will prevail against it. You're going to be the man. You're going to be awesome. You're going to be incredible. You're going to be great. You're going to be the leader of the disciples. You're going to be the leader of this Christian movement. You're going to be amazing. So that's Peter and Simon. Well, here's the problem with Simon and Peter is, is, is he's one of the most conflicted personalities, I think, in my life. I always like to say and joke around, but also being dead serious, I, re, I feel like if I can connect to anybody in the Bible, it's Peter, because I feel like that I struggle with so much of the same things that Peter struggles with. And, and one of the things that Peter struggles with is, is at any given moment, he could say something amazing, like he said to Jesus, you're the son of God. You are who you say you are. And he says, that's right, Peter, and I'm going to use you to, to build the church. And then like a few scriptures later, he says something so stupid that Jesus says, get thee behind thee, Satan. So, all right, so he goes from like, do something really awesome. You're really, and, then, and then he's like, okay, you're kind of like Satan right now, so you need to back up. That's, that's Peter, man. One minute he's just like, let's love the children. And the next minute he pulls out a sword and he like chops some guy's ear off and doesn't think twice about it. Like that's Peter. That's just who he is, man. He's got this struggle between Simon, this kind of this, kind of this coward, this kind of doesn't finish things. He's a loud mouth. He just kind of runs his mouth. Everybody that knows me is going, yep, you were right. It's kind of like you. So, like, that's just kind of how, you know, that's kind of how he is. And then, and then he's, this, he's also the same guy who, like, stood before thousands and thousands of people and f- preached the first message of the gospel and saw 3,000 people saved. But there is a massive struggle all throughout the gospels and throughout Peter's life between this old Peter and this new Peter, Simon and, and Peter. And I, I struggle the same way. And so you've got the old life before Christ. You've got those old issues. You've got those control issues, those anxiety issues, that anger, that frustration, that, that need to lie or that need to protect yourself or defend or to go. And you name your weaknesses. I just named most of mine. And, and so you just, you just kind of go and you do that. Whatever that is, you've got that thing that comes up. And it's not like you're a horrible person. And it's not like it affects. But every given situation, you're not 100% sure whether it's Jordan and Christ that's going to show up or it's Jordan and Satan that's going to show up. Right? You guys are perfect. You don't do this. You don't ever get mad. So, but that's the situation. That's who we have. There's this struggle between us. The old self, uh, our old weaknesses, the stuff that comes up, all right, and this stuff is 
dangerous. We don't realize it. We don't get it. We don't want to admit it. We're always really good at seeing everybody else's weaknesses and calling them out and holding them accountable. But it's very difficult for us to see our own. And sometimes people go through their whole life and they don't ever see them. It's called the blind side. The things that are most dangerous are the things that we can't see. All right, and they're there and they exist and they'll show up in a moment and they are dangerous to your relationship with God. They're dangerous to your walk with Christ and they're dangerous to being who God wants you to be and they're dangerous for you accomplishing the things that God wants you to accomplish. They're dangerous and they're there. And this creates a struggle. And in the same note, number two, it's the Simon Peter versus Jesus thing. All right, this, is, this, is not, this isn't really about sin. This is more about like what you think is valuable is a lot different than what Jesus thinks is valuable. So Jesus, just give me an example. They show up, Jesus shows up, Peter shows up. Peter's like, this guy's powerful. In Peter's mind, this is who he thought Jesus was. He thought Jesus was the prophesied king of the Jews and that Jesus was gonna come up and he was gonna raise up an army and he was gonna raise up the religious leaders and the leaders of Israel and they were gonna form this army and they were gonna rebel against Rome, which was the greatest empire in that, in that era and they were gonna fight against Rome and he was gonna use all his magical powers to fight against Rome and to free the people of Israel and they were gonna be free from Rome and they weren't gonna be, they weren't gonna be under the Roman power. That's what Peter thought Jesus was early on. All right, that's not who Jesus was. Jesus says it has nothing to do with today and everything to do with tomorrow. It has nothing to do with this little space and everything to do with the entire universe. I'm not just the king of Israel, I'm the king of the world. See, Jesus knew who he was and Jesus, because Jesus knew who he was and he knew the plan and Peter thought it was something different, what Peter valued and what Peter thought was important was drastically different than what Jesus thought was important. And that showed up and that caused them to have tension because I just don't, I'll never understand why Peter was like, you know what, I'm gonna go, <laughs> silly Jesus. <laughs> he forgot why we were here. So I'm gonna go up here, I'm gonna help fix it. It's so stupid. But he walks up, they have this moment, all right? And, and Jesus is like, all the crowds are here, the religious leaders are here. And Peter, because of what Peter thinks is important and what Peter thinks is valuable, dude, he's on a high, he is pumped. He's like, guys, you know, you thought it would take us years to raise up an army. We got like 10,000 people out there. Dude, we're about to roll. And the religious leaders, they're all here too. We've got them. We've got what we need. We've got the political power. We've got the manpower. Now Jesus just needs to stand up and he just needs to say he's the king. And we need to go and rebel and kill Pilate and do our thing. And then the next thing that comes out of Jesus' mouth is, everybody, eat my flesh and drink my blood. And everybody's like, nah, we'll see you. So they start taking off and Peter's like, what are you doing, dude? He walks up to me he's like, Jesus, he said, listen, man, uh, you can't, we got to really calm down this. You can't, so, I don't know what you're talking about. You're sounding kind of crazy. Can you just kind of go back and let's, you know, let's do some more miracles, maybe raise somebody else from the dead before they leave? All right, Jesus, can you do this? And then Peter, he said, shut up, Peter. Shh. Stop talking. And the religious leaders are there. And Jesus was like, well, all the people left. All right, well, let's go get the religious leaders. And he says, guess what, guys? You guys are hypocrites. Whitewashed tombs. You're dead inside. They leave. And Peter's like, we need them. We need those guys. Jesus, we're going to do the rebellion thing. And we're going to do the war thing. And we need them on our side. And Jesus says, we don't need them, dude. They're actually the problem. See the tension that's created? Because of what Peter thought things was about. He thought life was about. He thought this movement was about. And what he thought was valuable, it wasn't what Jesus thought was valuable. And this posed a major problem in the relationship with Jesus and Peter because Jesus knew. He knew who Peter was gonna be. He knew what Peter was gonna grow into. He knew the preacher he was gonna be. He knew the leader he was gonna become. And the old Peter and the fact that Peter didn't understand and the fact that 
Peter thought was important, what Jesus didn't, and valued what Jesus didn't. This created a massive tension between them. And this was a problem. And so Jesus has to do what Jesus always does, and that's save us, even when we don't realize we need saving. And that brings in a third part of this problem, third part of this struggle, and that's the Simon into Peter struggle. This is where we spend a lot of our lives, right? where God is molding us and changing us and transforming us into his image, molding us from Simon into Peter, molding me from, from who I was born, what I was born, who I was, into who I'm supposed to be in Christ. See, salvation takes place in just a moment, a process. This is this moment, sanctification, the idea of turning into Christ or changing us or forming us into his image. Man, that is a lifelong journey, and it's difficult. And see, Jesus understood something, something that they didn't understand. Jesus knew in order for the salvation to take place, in order for this thing that, that had to happen, Jesus was going to have to go to the cross. Jesus was going to have to die on the cross and be resurrected. He knew that. And in the same way, because of what Jesus did on the cross, we have to go through that same exact process. That means is, is that for Peter to fully live, Simon has to fully die. Right? And that's something that we don't really talk about much. We don't really want to hear about much. But this is a part of the process, the old you dying completely. Paul says, he says multiple times in different ways all throughout the New Testament, he says you have to crucify your flesh. Kill off the old you. Kill it so that it doesn't come back. This is part of the process. This is a part of the struggle. And so when it goes back and Paul says, listen, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling because it is God the creator of the universe that is at work in you. He's working in you, working on you, working through you to will and to work for his good pleasure, to please him. These are the things that are taking place. This is how he's working on us. He's taking the old us and he's killing it and he's moving it into the new us to represent Christ. And part of that process is changing what we think is valuable so that we know the plan, so that we know what is truly important in this life. Now, with that context, I want us to go back through and read when Peter walks on water. Because in that context, this story is no longer random. In that context, it makes a lot of sense. And it explains a lot of situations in our lives. So this is what he says. Matthew 14, it says, Immediately he made the disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side while he dismissed the crowds, talking about Jesus. He says, Immediately. That means immediately means that's following something that just happened. What it just followed is the breaking of the bread and the fish. There was a whole bunch of people and they were starving, I guess. And Peter walks up and the disciples walk up and say to Jesus, You need to let them go. They need to leave. They need to go into the towns and buy them some food so they don't starve to death out here. The whole Lazarus thing was kind of cool, but I think if we raise 5,000 people from the dead, people start asking a lot of questions. So we're going to let them kind of go get some food. And Jesus says, Why don't you just give them some food? And they said, Okay, Son of God, you, we don't have any food. Jesus says, What do you have? I have some fish. 
and some bread will bring it to me. And he does the whole thing. He breaks it up and they pass it out and everyone eats. Now I want you to think about this. What happens here is they say, just let the crowds go. Jesus says, no, the crowds don't have to go. And they go through this whole process. And the first thing that happens is Jesus sends them away. Think about that. The whole point, you think Jesus is feeding them so that they'll stay because they said, just send them away. They said, they don't have to send them away. This whole process happens. Something triggers in Jesus' mind. He realizes there's some work that has to be done. So he feeds them. He sends the crowds away. He sends them out into the boat. He says, immediately, immediately, as soon as the miracles was over, as soon as everybody was eating, it says, immediately, he sent the disciples away. He says, get on the boat, go across the, go across the little sea, and I'm going to dismiss the crowds. And so he dismisses the crowds, and then he goes up. And after he had dismissed the crowds, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. When evening came, he was there alone, but the boat by this time was a long way from the land, beaten by the waves, for the wind was against them. So now Jesus, he sends them away, he sends the crowd away, and then he goes up onto the mountainside, and it says that he hangs out there for a long time by himself with God, praying. And while he's praying, while he's going through this thing, the disciples are getting farther and farther and farther and farther away into this storm. Do you get the sense that Jesus understands what's happening? This wasn't an accident. This wasn't like, guys, I'm going to let you. It's not like a boss let some guys off early. You guys go ahead and go on, you know, go ahead and go on to the restaurant. I'm just, I'll take care of the crowds. You guys take the night off. You've done such a good job today. That's not what was happening. He was in control. He had a point. He was on mission. He was working in their lives. And he's sitting on this mountaintop while they're getting out into the dead middle of this ocean when the wind and the waves are against them, beating against the boat. They're not in the Titanic, man. They're in a little fishing boat. All right, this is a scary situation. And Jesus looks down, it's about three o'clock or the fourth watch. If you live in this time, you see what I'm talking in a minute. And he starts, okay, I'm gonna go back out. So then he goes back out. And in the fourth watch, told you, in the fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking on the sea But when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified and said, it's a ghost. And they cried out in fear. But immediately Jesus spoke to them saying, take heart, it is I, do not be afraid. Now, one of the ones that I do have to disagree with is when I hear this preaching, they say, no matter where you are in life, you just cry out and Jesus is going to come to you. He's going to come right to you. They thought he was a freaking ghost, okay? They didn't even know it was Jesus. They weren't crying out to Jesus. They were crying out because they were scared of the ghost that was walking across the water. Jesus had to show up and say, God, so stupid. Listen, that's not even a part of the lesson I'm trying to teach you guys. It's me. I'm not a ghost. He comes up. He says, listen, it's me. Don't be afraid of me. It's me. It's Jesus. I'm the one out here walking on the water. It's me. Here's the thing is they have no idea, and this proves it. No randomness in the story. They have no idea that God is in the middle of working in their life. They have no clue. I've heard preachers spin this about 20 different ways. They are clueless. Please read this with your eyes. Did they have any idea that Jesus was doing something in their life? None. They thought he was a ghost. They saw Jesus walking on water and nobody said, not even precious little John, who knows everything, said, It's Jesus, guys. Don't be afraid. Nobody knew. They were like, nah! 
Not only are we in the middle of a storm, not only is the wind blowing super heavy, not only are the winds beating against the waves, there's a poltergeist coming at us on the ocean. All right? They have no clue that God is in the middle of doing something in their life. A lot like us. There's so many times God is at work, God is in the middle of doing something in our life, and we have no idea. And we are terrified at times. We see the storm and we see the waves and we see all this stuff and we see the circumstances and we see things getting bad and we see things getting difficult. And even if and when Jesus does show up in whatever way he shows up, we don't even get it. We don't even understand it so much of the time. We don't understand God is always at work in our life. God doesn't take breaks. All right? God doesn't, he doesn't punch in at nine and punch out at five. All right, he's God. He's always at work in your life. There is never a moment, even in, in, even in I think it's in a Hosea, and I think Hosea 3, 13, I think, yeah, don't, it's somewhere around there. They look back, and he says, listen, he says, I don't see you at work. I don't see you working. I see evil taking over, and I see all this. And God said, even when you don't see me, I promise you I am always working. Even when you don't feel me, I'm always working. I am at work all the time. When it's bad, when it's good, when it's ugly, when it's fantastic, when you're on top of the mountain, at the bottom of the valley, doesn't matter. I'm God. I'm at work. I'm a full-time employee. I don't get off. I am God. I'm always at work. Now listen to me. This is something that you need to accept and you need to understand because God is never off. He's always at work and he doesn't want you to die. He doesn't want you to suffer. He doesn't want you to hurt. He doesn't want you to go through pain. He doesn't want you to go through these struggles. So when you do, it's on purpose and it's for a reason. And he's always working in your life. And see, what we have to understand is at times we have to open up our eyes and we have to just stop before, before we go insane, before we get too crazy, before things get too bad and we just quit and we just walk away. We have to understand if this storm is in my life, even though I don't see him, I know he's here and I know he's working. And when you start to think like that, right, when you get that whole working out with fear and trembling because God is at work in your life and you understand that, you start to perceive things very, very differently. You start to view circumstances and situations in your life very, very differently. When you're entering into a time and you feel the, the pressure coming down the pipe and you feel like things are starting to go wrong on every angle and you feel like something's changing, something's happening, it's not a good time, you stop and go, God is at work in my life. And instead of being shocked when you see a ghost, keep your eyes open. And know at any moment, Jesus is going to come walking on the water. See, when you, when you think like Jesus thinks, when you see things through his eyes, there's no such thing as randomness. He's always working in your life. And whether it's right now, in this moment, you're going through something crazy, or it's something that's a few weeks away. I don't know about you, but in my life, they're very rarely months away. Usually pretty quick. Everything's going great. That's when I get scared. I'm like, oh, crap. Church is growing, all our bills are getting paid, everything's fantastic. And I'm like, get ready. <laughs> I've only been a pastor for a few years now, but I'm telling you, this is, there's a pattern. <laughs> it's coming. 
And you just look and you just start, you're sitting in that boat and the wind and the rain and the waves and just start panning. Start looking. Because I can promise you he'll show up. But it's not over. So this whole thing, he shows up, you know. It's not a scary little girl poltergeist ghost, it's Jesus. He says, it's me, don't be afraid. And then they start to talk to him. And Peter answered him, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. And he said, come. So Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water and came to Jesus. This right here is truly the most miraculous part of this entire story. But it is not that Peter walked on the water. See, we hear this all the time. Jesus, God, he walked on the water. He walked on that water. Walked on it. Who gives a crap? Did you see it? Nope. I didn't see it. That mattered in my life at all whether Peter or not walked on that water. Not one single bit, does it? Truly, think about it. Well, if Jesus, I mean, if Peter walked on the water, then that means in my life, nothing. Right? Does that mean you can walk on water? Nope. Can you fly? Nope. Okay, so it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what happened to Peter out on the water. Do you know what the most miraculous thing about this is? His response to Jesus. Command me. Let me walk you through my life. If I'm sitting in a boat, all right, and all hell is breaking loose, and the waves are crashing against my little fishing boat, and the wind's blowing, and the rain's pouring, and Jesus just terrified me coming across here like a poltergeist, and I'm sitting here, and Jesus says, guys, don't worry, it's me. The first thing out of my mouth is going to be, Jesus, stop this storm. Stop the waves. This isn't fun, man. What are you doing? I saw you raising from the dead. You can stop it. You've done the wind thing before where you just kind of stop it because it's getting scary, right? Stop it. Stop the storm. Stop the wind. Jesus, if it's you, stop the wind. Let me be a little bit more. Jesus, if it's you, bless me. Jesus, if it's you, give me a new pony. If it's you, give me a new car. If it's you, give me that promotion I want. If it's you, give me some more money. If it's you, bless me. If it's you, give me. If it's you, Jesus, make everything easy and smooth. If it's you, put a pot of gold at the end of the rainbow, God. If it's you, let me eat steaks every night and live in a land of awesomeness. That's what, we, that's what we think. Because when we pray, that's mostly what we pray. God bless me. God feed me. God give me. God bless my children. Make my house bigger. Make my little Honda be a BMW. Like make, we just go through the things. Everybody with a Honda goes, hey. <laughs> Calm down. I mean, that's what we pray. Listen, getting back, remember I told you, you gotta, in context of the three things we talked about earlier, what you think is valuable, Jesus doesn't think is valuable. Jesus knows what is most important. He knows what is most valuable. He knows, he knows what you really need. He knows what's going on. A lot of times when we sit in a boat in this situation and we get in these situations, Jesus, stop. Jesus, make it easy. Dude, I'm telling you something. I've been, just in the last few years, being a pastor of this church, man, we've gone through some things, man. A lot of stuff you guys don't really know about, all right? Like, like, and it probably wouldn't seem like a big deal to you, but there are things, especially we're going through some of these projects or different things. Like I mentioned it before, man. Dude, I was ready to go. Dude, I was like, man, I didn't, this sucks. 
Like, God, please, please, just one day, God, let that inspector be saved. Just one day, let him give us a break. Just one time, any time, one time, just please. We're out of money. Just please, God. Over and over, make it easier. Like, we have a marriage deal. Just fix Courtney so I don't have to. Please, just make it easier. God, I don't want to have to change. I just want to keep being selfish. Make her change. Right? Just make, just make it. She's doing kids today, so I can say whatever I want. Just make, that's what, because that's what we pray, man. That's what, what we do. We just make it easier, make it better, make it bigger, make it greater. God, make me successful. Let me climb the ladder, fire my boss because he doesn't know what he's doing. No bosses ever do. Just do that, God. Everything, everything that I want, just give it to me. Everything that I think is right, just give it to me, God. Let everybody else just deal with my weaknesses. I don't even have any weaknesses. I don't even want to know about my weaknesses. Just deal with it. Change everybody else. Do it. Make it easy. Fix the situation. It has nothing to do with anybody else most of the time but you. Because right here in this moment, Jesus was in the middle of teaching them a lesson. And my belief is that not just for the other disciples. My belief is this whole thing is specifically for Peter. Peter says, command me. See, Peter was ahead of the game because we, we wouldn't do that. It would benefit us when we start getting in these situations and we become aware that God is moving, God is doing something, God is here. It would benefit us to start saying, God, whatever you want, I'll do it. Whatever whatever your will is, whatever you're trying to teach me, just show it to me. Lead me through it. Don't ever pray for it to stop. God, lead me through it. Expose it. Show me whatever it is, whatever you want me to do, wherever you want me to go, whatever you want me to say, God, I'm yours, your God. You're Jesus. You have the power. So command me. Tell me. Show me. Expose in me. Work on me. Do it. See, we waste our time a lot of times praying. Lord God, just send me that promotion. You're not ready for it. You're not ready for that promotion. You get that promotion, you're going to suck it up and they're going to fire you. God, just give me more money. If I just had more money, everything would be easy. You can't even handle the money you already have now. Why would he curse you by giving you more money? Worst thing that happens to somebody that can't mishandle money is giving them more money. Fact. Reality. Just give me, give me, just send me a boyfriend, send me a girlfriend. You'll destroy it. You're not ready for it. You're not ready for that relationship yet. If you want to know why, go back and listen to the Bringing Sexy Back series. Harvestcove.org slash messages slash Bringing Sexy Back. So many times we're like, God, give me. Dude, you're going to ruin it. If he answered your prayer, you would destroy it. It's like that kid, me being one of them. God, give me a fancy, cool little bright red sports car for my 16th birthday. God gave it to me, or my father did. And then I crashed it because I'm an idiot and I wasn't ready for it. All right. That is the story of so many of our lives. God, get me better at business. Give me that promotion. He knows you're going to get better at business. You're going to climb that corporate ladder. Your business is going to grow and then your family's going to fall apart because you don't know how to handle both. 
See, God's only going to give you what he can trust you with. And part of the reason we never, because we don't go through situations like this well. We never deal with our weaknesses. We never deal with our personality flaws. We never deal with these things. We just ride them. We just accept them or we deny them or we keep them in the blind side where all the other bad things are and we just go on with our life. And anytime we get to that place, because God knows. See, God knew. I'm going here in a minute. God knew where Peter was headed. He knew what was going to happen. He knew that Peter needed to go through this. I'm going. So Peter answered him, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. And he said, come. So Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water and came to Jesus. But when he saw the wind, Peter, when he saw the wind, he was afraid. And beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. Jesus immediately reached out his hand and took hold of him, saying to him, oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? Now this right here, this is where we'd like to rip Peter apart. He took his eyes off Jesus. He sunk. He fought. Listen, most of us wouldn't even get out of the daggum boat. Right? Let's do be honest. That is a good point to make. Most of us, we're just like, we like to see train crashes. Right? We, don't want the, we don't want to be the one to get out of the boat, but we want to see what happens to the guy who gets out of the boat. All right? Let me tell you something. I've got a million weaknesses, tons of them. But getting out of the boat has never really been a weakness of mine. All right? Jumping off a cliff has never really been a weakness of mine. I enjoy it. I'm 16 years old. I thought for three seconds, God, I was going to be a preacher. Quit school, left my life, ran away. No idea what I was doing. Did it so fast, all right, because if I, did, if I thought about it for two seconds, I would have been terrified, but I just did it. I go, if I believe something in my heart, if I believe that it's from God, dude, I do it. No hold back. I just do it. Everything I have always been like that, always been like that. I don't have a getting out of the boat problem. Some of us do, but I don't have a getting out of the boat problem. See, I struggle, though, heavily with I think the same thing that Peter kind of struggles with. See, because Peter got out of the boat, right? And he got in in the, and there's discrepancy on whether he made it all the way to Jesus. They said he got out of the boat and he came to Jesus. I'm feeling like he's pretty close. It's called reading words. Lord, save me. Jesus immediately reached out his hand and took hold of him saying, oh, you have little faith. See, we say Peter didn't have faith. Well, he had faith, okay? It wasn't really a faith problem. Peter got out of the boat, that's a lot of faith. He defied logic and physics, and he walked on water. Boy, he had some faith. Right? He didn't have a faith problem. He said, oh, you have little faith. Why did you doubt? See, this is what we see in Peter's life, and this is what is exposed right here in this moment. Peter didn't have a faith problem. Peter had a finishing problem. Peter, he's always the one, dude. He's always. Jesus says, come and follow me. Let's go. All right, leave your father, mother, your business, your fishing business behind. Leave it all. All right, let's go. Let's do this thing, Jesus. He didn't have a getting out of the boat problem. Peter had a finishing problem. A major, major finishing problem. There were multiple times, especially if you read between the lines and the conversations with Jesus and Peter, where Jesus knew Peter was thinking about jetting. After the whole flesh and blood deal, Jesus turns around. They were murmuring on themselves about leaving. He says, you guys going to leave too? Remember when he said that? Talking to Peter. There's something about Peter. When things just got difficult, man, when things got awkward, when things got hard, he contemplated leaving. He proved that point with the whole denying Christ three times. But Jesus knew the importance of Peter becoming a finisher. Because he knew there was going to come a time when Jesus was gone and Peter was going to be the leader. 
And if Peter left, they would all leave. If Peter walked away, they would all walk away. He knew that he was going to be the preacher. He knew that he was going to be the leader. He knew he was going to stand before 3,000. He knew he was going to start this movement. Tell me a movement that somebody started that was successful after the one who started it walked away from it. Has that ever happened ever? Name one time. When you're the leader, when you're the one who starts it, when you're the one who chases it, when you're the one that goes and you fall away, everybody falls away. Jesus understood the grand importance of Peter conquering his greatest weakness. And his greatest weakness was not finishing what God started in his life. But he knew the importance. The same deal in your life. God knows there is a great weakness. There is something in you that's going to hold you back in your relationship with him. And it's going to hold you back from accomplishing what God wants to accomplish through you. And if God has to take you out into the sea a hundred times to expose that weakness and to get rid of it, he'll do it. And it'll be the greatest thing that ever happened in your life. Like I said, I can relate to Peter, man. This was a lot like me. Dude, you ask any girl I dated before Courtney. It got awkward or weird. I was gone. On to the next. Got a little bit difficult. I was gone. Ask any employee. Things were rolling, or any employer. If things were rolling, things were great, things were good, I was good. If it got hard or difficult or I didn't like it, I went on to the next job. Just how I was. Ask anybody that knew me. The only thing that was a constant in my life was sports. And do you know why I can make it? Because it was an end to every season. True story. I can get through this. If I was winning, things were going. We lost one game. I was like, I'm going to go lay down on the road. This is stupid. I hate when things don't go well. I am, dude. I'm telling you something. As passionate, as excited as I am, dude, I can get brought low so quick. It's just a part of who I am. Emotional roller coaster, maybe. I don't know. But God knew that. God knew he had to change that in me. Because what I'm doing right now, this is the hardest thing I've ever done in my entire life. And there have been plenty of times when the old me was like, man, you could just leave. The grass is always greener on the other side. You can make more money doing anything. Cutting grass. Right? You could, it could be a lot easier just punching a clock, just going in nine to five. No worries. You go home, job stays there. Dude, I don't, that's not church. You ever been a pastor before? It's not fun sometimes. It's hard. It's difficult. God knew, Jordan, I know who you're going to be. I know who you're going to grow into. I know things are going to get difficult, and you got to get over this. And there were time and time and time again where he exposed this in me. And there are things like that in your life. Taylor, you can go ahead and come play. There are things like that in your life. There are things that are going on. There are things that are ruining your marriage. There are weaknesses. There are things that are ruining your calling. There are things that are stopping you from being able to accomplish your purpose. There are things that are hindering your relationship with Christ. And when God exposes those things and God brings you through the storm or God does that, it's not going to be a fun thing. Because you know what happened to Peter just a short time after this situation? Talks about it in Luke. Said at the last, at the last dinner, last dinner, last supper, last dinner. Probably the most famous statement in all of the Bible. <laughs> I messed it up. They're sitting around here, and they're all breaking bread. You know, he washes his feet. They're all excited because they're idiots. They have no idea what's coming. And Jesus starts dropping some bad news bombs on them. 
And Peter's sitting there, he goes, you know, Peter, just being who he is, man. Nah, not me, not us, Jesus. We're going to be here, man. We got the sword. We're going to do this thing. We got this conquered. He turns around. He looks right at Peter, and he goes, listen to me. This is a hard thing to hear. Satan has demanded that he sift you like wheat. He says, Satan has demanded that he has you. And Peter, Satan's going to sift you like wheat. It's going to be the greatest temptation you've ever faced, and you're going to fall. It's going to be horrible. It's going to almost destroy you. Peter, with his continued arrogance, not me. I'll go to prison with you. I'll die with you. I'm Peter. Jesus says, nah, man. Before the crow, the crow, the rooster crows. God. <laughs> Before the bald eagle squeaks three times in the morning. He says, you're going to deny me three times. But I want you, I want you, I want you, if you want to turn, you can turn. It's in Luke, it's Luke 22. I'll just read it to you. It's in Luke, uh, Luke 22, verse 31. He says, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan demanded to have you, that he might sift you like wheat. But I have prayed for you. Now, this is the thing. This is the thing. But I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. See, when you read that, again, your mind goes back to lollipops and rainbows. But he says, my prayer, I'm going to pray that you're not going to fail, that your faith is not going to fail. And the next thing out of Jesus' mouth, and when you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. Jesus said, listen, Satan's going to take you. He's going to have his way with you. And he's going to destroy that pride in you. And you're going to deny me three times. And you're going to turn away from me. But immediately, he said, when you turn back. See, I just want to read it again. I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And in your mind, you think, okay, nothing's going to really bad happen to Peter. He's got Jesus prayed that his faith isn't going to fail. But the next thing out of his mouth and when you have turned again or when you have turned back or when you have come back to me, insinuating that Satan's going to win a battle in his life. Insinuating that Satan is going to win a battle in his life. See, you guys assume that in this war that we're undefeated and we're not. We will win the war. But there are battles that we will lose. And sometimes there are battles that we will lose and it's because Christ allows us to lose in order to teach us the greatest lesson we will ever learn. See, we're so afraid of failure in this life that we forget that sometimes throughout Scripture, it was through people's greatest failures that God opened up some of the greatest doors to some of the greatest things that ever happened. See, those of you that try to walk around this world and you try not to fail and you try to convince everybody that you're perfect and you try to convince everybody that you've got it together and you try to go along and everything that happens, you're defensive and you hold it and you don't You're the people, you'll never accomplish anything of any real importance. It is the broken people before God that changed the world. 
See, when you receive crucify, we don't really get that. That means he's going to crucify your flesh. It's going to break your flesh. It's going to break your body. It's going to break that pride. Sometimes he's going to break you. Sometimes he's even going to let the enemy have his way with you in order to teach you the greatest lesson you will ever learn. And that is through anything and everything. Jesus Christ is always there. The power of Christ is at work in your life. Listen, this isn't the prosperity gospel. If you want that junk, go somewhere else. I'm telling you how the power of God works in your life. And I'm telling you, you need to open it up. The American dream is a non-existence load of bull crap. All right? God works in your life just like this. He loves you enough that he will walk you through the pit of hell to burn off everything that holds you back from your relationship with him. Let me tell you why. Let me tell you why I know that he is not afraid to walk you through hell. Because he was not afraid to walk up that hill, hold that cross on his back, be nailed to it, and crucified for your sins. He loves you enough. He gave up his own life. He suffered for you. And he loves you enough to walk you through the fire. And I'm going to tell you something. Remember I told you, it's one of those messages. This could change your entire view on things. It could change the way that you think about life. It could change your perspective on the situation you're in right now or the one you're about to enter into. Or you could just reject it and go on and do your thing. And I'm telling you right now, this is the way that God works. God knows who you're supposed to be. He knows who you're going to be. He knows you see yourself as some poor fisherman that he knows you're going to be one of the greatest leaders that ever walked the face of the earth. But the process of going from that little fisherman to the guy who changes the world is a very difficult process. But he will be with you every step of the way. Don't be afraid of failure. It's failure that exposes the weaknesses in your life and you will never be able to conquer an enemy that you don't know is there only way you can fight it is when you're facing it. And Jesus will do whatever he needs to do to expose that and to get that junk out of your life so that you can become a conqueror. Our God is a God who takes shepherd boys and makes them kings. That's who he is. But there is a world of lessons between that 12-year-old boy with a sling and one of the greatest kings that ever walked the face of the earth. I don't know what you think of me, but I can tell you right now, I'm a far better man now than I was 10 years ago. And I pray that 10 years from now, I'll be an even greater man than I am today. Because when we go through the storms of life, we need to understand God is always at work in our life. And if he's walking you through a valley, it's because he's on his way to taking you to the top of a mountain. But you'll never get to the top of a mountain without going through the valley. God loves you. He died for you. And he is at work in your life right now. Always, even when you don't see him. And he will continue to work on you and to mold you change you and to shift you and to break you if that's what needs to happen in order that your relationship with him is out of this world amazing 
and that you can accomplish whatever purpose he has for you. I'm going to tell you something. It's difficult, but I wouldn't trade any of it for where I know that God is taking me. And that's how we have to be. That's how we have to be in our life. No matter what it is right now, it's not worth where God's taking us. So in that next situation, that next circumstance, that next storm in your life, don't be afraid. Don't fear. Know that God is with you and that God is always working on you and that God is preparing you for the future. The power of Christ is always at work in our life. If you guys will stand with me.